As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, this is Tony Reeves. If you like my content or have any suggestions, please let me know. And by all means, make sure you share. The only way I can get my word out is you help me get the word out as well. I often get asked the question, what motivates you for your various posts? For those of you who may not be aware, I have a presence on both Instagram, Facebook, as well as Twitter under the handle My Name is Reeves. And of course, I have my podcast. And then if you go to YouTube and type in In the Know with Tony Reeves, you'll see a variety of different videos. Whenever I do particularly my videos, it usually is motivated by something in particular that may have happened in that day or something that happened that week that I think is relevant. So what I'm going to do is this is what I like to talk, call what I know about the week of. So I'm going to actually show, share with you some of the various uh, podcasts or excuse me, or videos that I've converted to podcasts and listen to not only let you listen to what I talked about there, but also kind of share with you what was going through my mind and what was my motivation for actually creating this. So I hope this helps out and I hope that you enjoy it. One of my first ones that I did this week was a video talking about the realities of protest. I'm pretty sure most of us have probably been paying close attention to uh, the, the protests that turned into huge civil unrest that occurred in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021. And after watching that, I started thinking about the reality, not, not necessarily the protest. You're going to see countless people talking about that. But my thought was really, I wonder how many people understand the ramifications of what it means to participate in these particular events. And what I mean by participating, I'm talking about the fact that if you get arrested, you know, the consequences that comes from being arrested. What happens if this is now on your record? What does it mean for other aspects of your life as well? So what I did is I did a video, uh, which I'm going to share with you as a podcast, that I talk about the realities of protests and some things that you should think about. So please, sit back and enjoy. 
Today we're going to talk about the realities of marches and more importantly protests. The easy part is to recognize that we have had in this country, the United States, a long history, and even across the world, of utilizing things such as marches as an, and protests as an opportunity to exercise our freedom of speech as well as our freedom of assembly. As a matter of fact, freedom of association, which is what it's actually referred to in the Constitution of the United States, has been an active tool that has been utilized by individuals as far back as the civil rights movement, women's suffrage movements, gay rights movements, almost any type of movement that is trying to rally the masses in order to let those individuals know in the establishment of changes that they want to see done. This has been an active tool and if done properly can be a very effective tool. That's the easy part. However, here's the not so easy part of this. Participating in a protest comes with real potential consequences. And so you need to be prepared for the reality that something may happen. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to interview my mom, who actually participated in her very first march back in the 60s in Alabama. And listen to what she had to say about how she was prepared for the consequences that may occur from participating in a peaceful march. Okay, well, um, see, I didn't know, I knew nothing about nothing. It was very impressionable. Well, that, I learned more how to party and how to study when I was, because I never experienced, <laughs> I'd experienced, I had experienced studying, but I had never experienced partying. And then these young people would go around, you know, raising their fists and saying, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, we're going to do this, and we're going to demonstrate. And so my friends were going, so why wouldn't I go? So I went, and the, the young men who talked to us, they might not have been any older than us, uh, uh, Tony, but they might have experienced some things. They told us that uh, to stay behind them, and if the policemen came toward us, which they were going to do, and intimidate us and scare us, they formed a circle around us and told us to get on the inside of the circle. And those, those uh, white cops, they did that too. They came toward us on those horses and things, and the circle got small and small and small. It was scary too. And, and the, the black men who were lead, leading us said, you know, Whatever you have to do, do it. But don't come outside that circle. They, had, I was so proud of them. I was so proud of them. And some and back then, a lot of black churches would uh, leave their doors open for demonstrators in the sense that they knew something was going on. And uh, you know, if we had to get if we if we had to uh, get out of harm's way, we would camp out uh, in their churches at night. And that's what we did. At one time, I camped out. The church, you know, on the floor up against the wall. And uh, it was really strange to wake up the next morning and then, you know, go back to school. It's one they didn't put us all out of school, but <laughs> they did. First reality is that there may be things that happen that you didn't anticipate during the march. And you need to be prepared for that reality when you're going to, and to participate in any type of protest that things may go sideways that you didn't anticipate. There's a possibility that you may find yourself being arrested. And some people may on their face say, oh, I'm ready for that reality. Are you truly ready for that reality? Well, for instance, if you're arrested, 
Do you have money already set aside for bail? Are you are you confident that you're going to be released on your own recognizance? Keep in mind, if you were arrested for peaceful assembly, maybe because you wandered on a private property and so forth, that's different than if it's civil unrest or civil if it's civil disobedience or disorderly conduct. You don't you don't know what exactly you're going to be arrested for. Therefore, you don't know what the bail is going to be. Do you have somebody who's going to get you out? Do you have an attorney readily available if things go south? If the arrest occurs during your normal work week, which may result in you being in jail for a day or two, is your employer aware of the fact that you may not be there? That's now an unexcused absence. Is somebody going to notify your employer? Have you told your employer that you're going to a protest or you're going to a march and there's a, ch there's a chance that you might be arrested so you don't want to be penalized for that? Have you had that conversation? If you get arrested, there's a lot of moving pieces that has to happen in order for you to become free. Some people may think automatically that if they get arrested, oh, it's a big deal, they'll just let me out. It's not that simple and you need to be prepared for that reality. If you get arrested, you are now officially in, quote, the system. That means there is a documented history of you being arrested. And you would say, well, what is, how, why is that important? I said, because your arrest record will play a part on everything that happens with you going forward, depending on your circumstances. For instance, depending on your job, your job may be such where they have a problem if you find yourself being arrested. I can tell you I wanted to participate in a march, a peaceful march, and I was told by the ethics attorney that I needed to be mindful that if I were, if something negative happened at the march and I was found myself being arrested, even if I didn't do anything wrong, that may affect my conditions of employment. Therefore, I chose not to go on the march. Why, why is that important? I said, guess what? If your job relies on you having a certain background and you get arrested, your employer is going to view that in the as a condition of your employment. But even taking it a step further, if you decide to go apply for a job, you're now in this powerful position that you have to mention that you were arrested. Now, I understand you're probably saying, well, no big deal, I, I, it was just because I was at a march. And you have the opportunity to explain it away. A lot of job applications will give you a chance to kind of explain the context so this way it's not kind of looking on its face. But there are gonna be people out there who are gonna make the calculated decision to not list that they were arrested, which makes the situation even worse because if you find yourself in a situation where you don't mention it, and they do a background check if, my, you, if there was an arrest on you and you didn't tell it, guess what you've effectively done? You've effectively lied. Now, given my case, let me put it out there. You may have said to yourself, it was an oversight, I forgot, I didn't think it was a big thing. All those things may be true. However, the hardcore reality is that you did not mention it. So now you have a bigger problem facing you. Also keep in mind that arrest records are things that you will find on other things as well. Not only job applications, but housing applications. If you're applying to, to get into, for, to rent a place, they're gonna wanna know if you had an arrest record. And trust me, a lot of these companies now have background companies where they're going out and they're looking to see. So if you leave that off, that may be problematic. So keep that in the back. If you leave that off, that may be problematic as well. This may affect your reputation depending on how important this is to your reputation. Right now, what happens is when anybody participates in a protest or a march and it's peaceful, 
you're probably not really thinking about the long-term consequences of it. If you were proud to be there, if, if there was, this was consistent with your goals, it's great. The problem is when things go south. If things take a bad downturn, now you're associated with a situation that went bad, even if you didn't play a role in it going bad. So what ends up happening is that a lot of people will think, find themselves trying to rehabilitate their reputation very quickly. Part of that rehabilitation may be removing things in places that could be seen so that this way uh, they, they can kind of control the messaging of how they're being portrayed. Problem with that. You don't have control. And you would say, what do you mean by I don't have control? Let's look at the two between the internet and paperwork. Let's assume that you have some papers out there that reflect on you in a particular way. You can grab control of those papers. So as long as nobody's copied those papers, you can say, I have control of it. I shred it. Boom. End of story. I wouldn't recommend it, but hey, that's what you, you do what you do. The, the downside is that on the internet, if something happens, there are way too many. You're talking billions of people on the internet. There's way too many opportunities for people to find themselves in a situation where they can take a snapshot of what you've said, a snapshot of your Instagram page, your Facebook page, your Twitter account, and they can keep that. Snapshots, you can't scrub. So guess what? When you go in and you decide to drop your Twitter account or drop your Facebook account or drop your reviews and so forth, if that information is already captured, it's actually going to make the situation worse. Why? Because it's one thing if you try to create, rehabilitate your reputation in an effort to try to create that you're something that you're not. It's even worse when there was an active role, meaning 24 hours before things went south, you were fine with it. But once things got south, went south, and it's what we use in the legal community is temporal proximity. What, and it's a nice way of saying your actions close to the time when you did something is, a clear, is, a, is an example of evidence that can be utilized to show your mental intent. You intended to not make yourself look so bad for associating with something that went really bad. So keep those things in your mind. Freedom of speech, freedom to protest, freedom to march, freedom of assembly. These are all integral and vital tools utilized for solidarity and to make sure individuals' rights are being voiced so this way people can ensure that they have a mechanism to ensure that those people who are adversely affecting them will know that they are their displeasure of this. But you need to think the entire circumstance through. If you're planning on participating in a protest or if you're planning on participating in a march, if you're planning on participating in any type of assembly, think through the entire process in terms of what may happen and are you prepared for all the consequences of what may happen. It's easy to participate in a march and a protest. It's not easy to deal with the fallout if things go bad. Now, let me tell you, I had the opportunity to, to witness this one particular interview. I'm not sure how many of you out there are familiar with uh, the young lady who recently was arrested, 22-year-old, who was arrested as a result of accusing a 14-year-old of stealing her iPhone. And it's been played a few times where you're seeing where she's not letting the young man go and the father's intervening. And at one particular point, it looks like, like I said, I haven't seen the whole video, but it looks like she literally tried to grab the young man to take the phone away from him. Now, I'm not talking about that, but the thing that really jumped out at me 
was the interview she did with Gail King uh, with her attorney sitting next to her. And I can tell you, as someone who's practiced law, been in the law legal community for almost 20 years, I'm 19 now, I'll be 20 next year. Well, actually, I'll be 20 this year. I will tell you, I was sitting there and I just started to cringe because I can tell you as someone who has had clients in a variety of different practice areas, whether it be in in doing mediations, negotiations, whether it be hearings, depositions, I have had more than my fair share of times where my clients, despite everything I've done to prepare them for the interview, gets to that magical point where they have made the calculated decision that they are their own best advocate. And my heart really went out to that attorney because it's clear that she was trying to rein a client in and try to keep her to under, you know, to try to keep everything under control. And a lot of times people don't really realize when they go off on these speaking tangents, how much it really hurts them or it could potentially hurt them. So as such, I started thinking about doing a video, which I did, and you can listen here where I'm talking about what it means uh, when your attorney tells you basically to be quiet. Um, So a lot of times people think that they're being held back and things of that nature, but sit back and listen as I talk a little bit about what the impact is and why attorneys often tell people to kind of stop talking. Today I want to talk to you about why it's important for you to stop talking when your attorney tells you to. When I used to practice law, I had this thing where I would tell clients, whether it be in a deposition, whether it be in court, whether it be in a negotiation or mediation, whatever the case may be, that if I place my hand on their arm, please don't be offended. That that was my way of letting them know stop talking and a lot of times what happens is that when people don't understand why that's important I'd have to explain to them and I'm pretty sure a lot of other attorneys have done this as well when an attorney is sitting there representing you in a variety of different capacities they only want you to provide enough information as necessary to advance your case in a particular way but a lot of times what happens is that people find themselves in this position where when they're talking they believe they are the person who is best able to be able to articulate their situation, that they're the ones who can truly communicate what's going on. Let me tell you why that's not necessarily a good thing when you have an attorney who's trying to get you to stop talking. You got to understand, your attorney knows your case. And sometimes what happens is that the person who is, whose case is involving, they're thinking, well, I know all the facts in my case. Yeah, but you don't know all the law with related to your case. When your attorney is representing you, they're trying to get you to a desired result, whether it be getting you some money, getting you getting a favorable thing in a contract, whether it be getting somebody to stop doing something. And so they know the legal hurdles you have to jump in order to get there. So in essence, what they're trying to do is they're trying to navigate your, your testimony or navigate your speech in such a way that gets over those hurdles and gets you to a desired point. So keep in mind that even though you may know all the facts because you live those facts, you don't know the law intimately and that attorney is trying their best to get you there. The other thing that you need to understand is that a lot of times when attorneys are prepping you and preparing you for the things they expect you to say, when you start adding stuff that they haven't anticipated, you put them in a bad position because now they're having to adjust on the fly. They can adequately prepare 
for whatever happens when they know what you're going to say. But if they don't know what you're going to say, they're now having to hustle to try to fix whatever you may have said. And the other thing that becomes troubling is that sometimes what happens is people, when they're thinking that, oh, I know I got this, I got this, when they don't, when they add words out there that their attorney is not aware of in terms of what they're going to say, the calculus has changed. Now the attorney is having to not only do damage control, but they're now having to re-navigate how they're trying to get you to your desired goal because you've now added information that you shouldn't have because they didn't want you to add that. And so when your attorney is basically stopping you, they're not trying to keep you from speaking. They're not restraining your free speech. What they're doing is they're trying to keep control of the narrative that's going to get you to where you're supposed to. And a lot of times they're trying to save you from yourself. This is going to sound crazy, but I used to have this happen in depositions when I would prepare clients for depositions. I would always tell them, you know, and you would have attorneys, answer the questions that's being asked. Do not add anything more than what they've asked for. So if they ask you for a narrative, you can give a narrative. But if they ask you a yes or no, and you're worried that by them asking you a yes or no, they're painting you into a corner, just answer the yes or no. Because part of the reason why you have an attorney is there is to help you out of those corners. But what ends up happening is that people take it upon themselves to think, I'm smarter than that other attorney, so I'm not going to let them paint me into a corner. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer this thing the way I think they're looking for me to answer. Let's be clear. Unless you're a mind reader, you don't know what they're doing. So what happens is that you're thinking you're smarter than an attorney because you're anticipating what you think they need. But what you may not realize is that something you've provided them was more important to them than it was to you. So where you're thinking, aha, I got you, you didn't get your aha moment. But what you've done is you've, in the legal term, we say we opened the door to other possibilities because what's happened is you've volunteered information that has given them the ability to go in paths that they weren't sure they were gonna go to, but now you've given it to them. So a lot of times attorneys will tell you, I'm trying to save you from yourself, not because I think you're going to cause harm. It's because you don't have that intimate knowledge in terms of what information they need that may cause harm to you. I do. And so I want to make sure that we help you guide and navigate those landmines so that you don't inadvertently go into the trap of thinking, I got this, I'm going to get them. And then the next thing happens is that you find yourself wondering after you've walked out of whether it be a negotiation or mediation or court proceeding, asking your attorney, how'd I do? And they're sitting here with their head on their heads talking about, oh my gosh, you really just blew up your spot. Attorneys are hired for a reason. They're there to give you the good, the bad, the ugly. They're there to competently represent you and zealously represent you. But it's a two, it's, it's a partnership. They can only do as much as what they can with you by their side. So even though you hire them to represent you, they're the ones who understand the law they're the ones who understand how the facts apply with the law, and they're the ones who are trying to get you to your desired result. So when your attorney is telling you to stop talking, again, they're not trying to restrict your free speech. They're trying to help you get the desired result that you hired them to get you. Going back to the various protests that I've been talking about before, you're starting to see a lot of people lawyer up as the phrase we like to utilize when they get themselves counsel. And watching that, I started to wonder how many people found themselves in a position where they were like, oh my gosh, maybe this is the time I need to get me an attorney, which made me give serious thought to discussing 
what circumstances you should think about in terms of getting an attorney. Uh, so sit back and listen as I talk a little bit in this uh, podcast or this video about the three particular areas you should give some thought if you're thinking about getting an attorney or whether you probably should consider getting an attorney. I'm sometimes asked at one point in time, should I think about hiring an attorney? Let me tell you three times when you should give serious thought to hiring an attorney. The first time is at the very beginning of any process. Most people, when they're hiring or thinking about hiring an attorney, they're usually thinking about it from a cost standpoint. They're really worried about how much they're going to spend. So what ends up happening is that they spend a great deal of time focusing on trying to do it themselves. I can tell you that one of my mentors once told me the most expensive time to hire an attorney is after you started the case on your own. In part because what happens is that they have to now go back and retrace everything that you did and most importantly, if you did something wrong or made your circumstance worse, they're spending more time and energy trying to correct all the things that you've done. So really from a cost-effective standpoint, the best thing to do is to get an attorney at the very beginning of the process because they typically know the, the shortcuts and the ins and outs and ways of doing things that may save you money as opposed to spending all of your time doing it yourself and then having to have them come back and have to undo everything. as soon as you realize that you need help. For those persons who end up taking on a case on their own, what ends up happening is that after a period of time, as they go through the process, maybe early in the process, it's fairly easy, whether it be filing pleadings in courts, filling out documents, things of that nature. That tends to be the easiest part of the process. But as you get deeper in the weeds, whether they be discovery requests, whether it be handling motion hearings, whether it be mediations, whether it be no negotiations, you may find yourself being overwhelmed because you're weeding into areas that you don't feel very comfortable in handling. At that particular point, once you start realizing that maybe you have a grip on what's going on, but you maybe need somebody with some more expertise, that's probably a really good time to bring an attorney on. Which leads me into my third one, when you realize you don't understand what you're doing. Sometimes when you're doing stuff, you're thinking early on, all I have to do is file this, they'll respond and keep it moving. But what ends up happening is that when people start, when you start looking at documents and you start realizing you don't understand what they're talking about, they're using what we call legalese or words or language that is not familiar to you or you don't feel comfortable in addressing, you may freak out because you may not be sure if you're making your case worse based on what you're doing. Once you start to realize when you get into the thick of things that you don't understand anything that you're dealing with, even though you've started on your own, that's probably a pretty good time to hire someone. I understand the desire to want to keep your costs down and come, sometimes hiring an attorney can be a very expensive proposition. But if you're in a situation where certain rights and things that you're trying to get back for yourself, you don't want to put yourself in a worse position when there is legal resources out there that could help you put you in the best position. If you're listening to this today, this is January 15th, 2021. If you're a member or familiar with the Black Greek Letter Organizations or historically Black Greek Letter Organizations, which are affectionately referred to as the Divine Nine, you would recognize that today is the founding day 
of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. For those of you who are not familiar with that organization, they are the oldest black Greek, black Greek lettered sorority of the Divine Nine, founded on January 15, 1908. And they have quite a few notable members, which includes Coretta Scott King, uh, I believe Felicia Rashad, and most notably Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. So in, think, in keeping with and in, in the spirit of giving congratulations to them, I'd like to give a special congratulations to the lovely ladies of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Thanks everybody for tuning in, but this is what I know about this week. The week's January 15th, and we're going to try to keep this thing rolling every Friday. So tune in. And as always, if you want to check out my videos, you can always go to YouTube and type in In the Know with Tony Reeves. If you have Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, my handle is My Name is Reeves, so you can find me there. And as always, it is a joy and pleasure to have you. If you want to make sure you know something, let me see what I can do to help you stay in the know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.